Welcome to the Roxborough Church Podcast. For more resources and information, visit RoxboroughChurch.org. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. All right. Happy New Year, everybody. All right. I hope you had a good one as we brought the New Year in yesterday. And as you know, we just celebrated Christmas and um, many of us received gifts uh, at Christmas time. Not only do we celebrate the birth of our Savior, but we celebrate, in a sense, one another because during this time of year at Christmas, what do we usually do? We usually exchange gifts. And, and so when you get a gift, guess what? You, you're receiving something new, aren't you? You're receiving something that you haven't experienced before. You're receiving something, even if it's a new pair of socks, they haven't been worn yet. Even if it's a hat and a, and a scarf set, it hasn't been worn yet. So it's something that's new. And, and, and to be honest with you, I love getting new things. Matter of fact, we, we just got a new kitchen. And just last, just this past week, we, we had a refrigerator and a stove that was brand spanking new, and it was delivered to our house. And so Bev is ecstatic about that. <laughs> She's been waiting a long time for a new kitchen, but we finally got that new kitchen in our house, and, and it's exciting getting something new. And you know, when you first get something new, you don't want to, it's like, be careful. You don't want to get nothing on it. You wipe it, everything off. It's like you want, please stay like this, at least for a little while. Right? Something new. And, and so when you think about it, the newness didn't just start. God was the one, when he created, came up with the idea of doing something new. And so when we consider, just even looking at the scripture, just from, uh, uh, from a, a viewpoint, from outside of it, what do we see? We see God doing something, don't we? We see that God creates and he creates something new. And then when we look at the scripture, we see that, that what God does in the scripture, we see there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. Well, there's a difference. Well, what's the difference? Well, in the Old Testament, we see the pointing to Christ coming. But in the New Testament, we see that Christ actually comes. And when he comes, it's something new because what's new about it, it's the revelation of God in flesh that has never happened before. So it was spoken of that it was going to happen, but it never occurred until the New Testament. Therefore, you have the change from the old covenant to the new covenant. We see that God is constantly doing something new. And then you look in the scripture and you, we see in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says when we receive Christ, what happens? We become a new creation in Christ. We're something new. The old is passed away and behold, we have become something new. But when we look in the Old Testament, we look at Lamentations chapter 3, it says that God's mercies are new every morning, doesn't it? Every day is a new experience. Every day is a different day. Every day that we wake up is a day we haven't yet experienced until we are in it. When you think about that, 
God is able to do something new every single day of our lives. It doesn't have to stay the same. And so when we look at the scriptures, we see that, that in Isaiah chapter 43, which is our text for today, that God does a new thing. And that's the title of this message, A New Thing. Let's look at the text. It says this, beginning with verse 14. This is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake I will send to Babylon and bring down as fugitives all the Babylonians in the ships in which they took pride. I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's creator, your king. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland, the wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the desert and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. Here's the first point I would like to, for you to recognize this morning. The first point is this. The proclamation of the Redeemer to his people. The proclamation of the Redeemer to his people. Now, when we look at the text, what do we see immediately? We see that Isaiah says that the Lord says this. The Lord is saying, your Redeemer, I am your Redeemer. He's talking to the Israelites. He's letting them know that I have a special relationship with you. That is not an ordinary relationship. I have chosen you to be the people in which I want to use to show the other nations, the Gentile nations, who I am. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I am Redeemer. You have been bought. You have been purchased with a price. In other words, Redeemer is a deliverer, a rescuer. And that's what he did with the nation of Israel. And so there's this special relationship that they have. And God is a faithful redeemer. He's not one who, who's an Indian giver. He doesn't just give and then take away and give and take away. Now you have to understand how his relationship works. And I think that's where we struggle sometimes because it appears that God has somewhat disappeared. But he says to them, not only is he a redeemer, he lets them know that I am the Lord. In other words, he's, the, he's their superintendent. He's the one who watches over their life. And then he says, I am your king. I'm the ruler. I am your protector. He lets them know that I'm all these things for you. And then he says, I am, I am your creator. I am the originator of you. I am your designer. Look, look at all these adjectives that God uses about himself. He wants his people to know that this is who I am. There's no one greater than me. And, and I 
have chosen you to be my people. Well, as believers, guess what? God's proclaiming the same thing to us. Those who have been born again, those who have received Christ as their Savior, those who have accepted the invitation to come to God, to come to know him, guess what? We are his people. God wants to do something in our lives on a regular basis because he desires to do something new because he's the God of newness. You probably never heard that before. He's the God of newness, yes. He constantly wants things to be new in our life. That's why when we look at what Christ is able to do, he wants us to be conformed into his image. Being conformed into the image of Christ is a process that happens on a regular basis as we become new. Hmm. God proclaims this. He's the redeemer, but let's move along. He says in verse 16, this is what the Lord says. This is Isaiah speaking again. And I, we need to know that, that Isaiah is speaking about what is to happen. But he lets us know, he lets them know, he who made a way through the sea. You remember the story in Exodus of how God delivered the people? He delivered the nation of Israel. And, and, and notice, I want you to catch something here. In verse 17, it says, who drew out the chariots and horses. I think that's a key point we need to understand. This brings out our second point. Our second point is the provocation of the, re of the Redeemer for his people. That word provocation, well, that seems antagonistic, doesn't it? It appears to be that way, doesn't it? When you think about the word provocation, it means to, to actually start something or to, to instigate something. It, it, it means to, to stimulate, to, to further something. And so when we look at God, look at what he does. Now, this is quite interesting, which I never captured this before. God in Exodus... We know that he hardened the heart of Pharaoh. But Pharaoh's heart was already hardened. And God took a hardened heart, hardened it even more to accomplish what he desired. Now, so what did God desire? He says, I want to set the Egyptians up. He told Moses, I want you to take these people and turn toward the sea. And I want you to, you won't, but, but wait a minute, God, the sea's in the way. I, I know that. I know what I'm doing. You got to trust me. He tells Moses to lead the people toward the sea, and the Egyptians are chasing them. They're coming after him. And then what does God do? He takes the, the cloud and the pillar of fire that was leading them. He moves it behind them so that those elements can now protect them. And, and yes, it's, we see the pillar of fire and we see, we see the cloud, but guess what? It's God's power. And so we see that he did that for a purpose. He's protecting them. And so the people are waiting. And behind them, 
is the Egyptian army, and they're freaking out. And they're like, Moses, what are we going to do? And what does God say? Take my staff, hold it out, and watch the salvation of the Lord. I love that in the Cecil B. DeMille's version when he stretches out over there, and then you see the waters part, and then he creates a, a highway through, through the sea. Well, that's what he did. And so they all walk through there, and, and then we see something happening. Well, well, in the Cecil B. DeMille's version, we see what happens, right? The cloud moves out the way and the fire moves out the way. And then all the Egyptian army, they start to go through and, and they're running through and they start to scream, ah, look who's behind us. We got it. What are we going to do now? And they get up to the other side. And, and, and just as they get to the end, we see that they're just about there, the Egyptian army and all of them in there. And then we see the water come crashing down on, on Pharaoh's army. Well, they know that story. They know about that story. It was something wonderful. It was God showing his power. But, but notice what Isaiah says. Isaiah said that, that God who drew them out. See, that's the propagation. God allowed that to happen. Now, here's the deep part. In, when you read in Exodus, it was for his glory. Wait a minute, he killed all these people for his glory? That's what the scripture says. We find that hard to comprehend. That God actually kills people. The question is, why does he do it? Did he not kill a bunch of people in Noah's time? It was only eight of them left. <coughs> oh, excuse me. It's for God's glory. Let's be honest. That's hard to understand, isn't it? It's hard to understand that God would, would do that himself. See, when, when we do it, we know that it's evil, but did not God call his people to fight? And we see that they killed people? Somehow... God gets glory out of that. We cannot understand it. But if God knows what he's doing and he's in charge and he's the superintendent of life and we trust him, then God, we got to believe that God is in control and that he does things for his divine purpose. That's hard for us. But yet that's what the scripture says. And we got to believe God. As believers, we got to trust God in those things. So what does that mean? That means, guess what? When we look at the past couple years, the stuff that's happened, we've lost family members. We lost people to COVID. We lost people in car accidents. We lost people to drug overdoses. We lost people in, in all those arenas. Their lives have been snuffed out like a wick that it says here. And we look at those things and say, God, why? And we ask those questions. God allows it to happen. Some things happen because it's sin-induced. Other things happen because it's for God's glory. 
can't tell you which is which. But I do know that God does things and allows things to happen and somehow for the purpose of his glory. And I got to trust that. And so he's telling them, now watch this in verse 18. Forget the former things. Wait a minute. What, what's going on here? See, the Israelites are in exile. They've been taken into exile because of their sin. And they, the Babylonians have taken them into exile. And so what Isaiah is saying, he's giving them hope. He's letting them know that, wait a minute, God is still around. Even though you've been unfaithful, God is still merciful. That's the same God we serve today. Even though we are unfaithful in many things, God still is merciful to us. I was asked a question by the director up here at Masonic Village. He ran into me on Wednesday, and, and he said, man, I can't, you know, he used a little bit of profanity, and, and he says, I can't believe, why is God allowing this to happen? And I said, because he's giving people time. I said, he's gracious. I said, he's merciful. I said, he's very compassionate. And he's giving people time. Time for what? To receive him, to receive that invitation that he's been offering to people. So many people are ignoring it. He's giving people time. He's being merciful. But yet, there's many people that can't understand that. And so when we look at what he says, he says, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. Look at what Isaiah does here. He's saying, I want you to move from memory to hope. Don't miss that. It was a mighty thing. It was a mighty act that God did with the, with the Israelites. But guess what? It was for their ancestors. And we only know it based upon what was told to us. It wasn't our experience. And he's letting them know, wait a minute. What happened in the past, even though it was great, it, it showed God's power. God wants to do a new thing because he wants to give you an experience that you never had before. And he says, I'm going to make a way in the desert. He says, I'm going to put water in the desert and I'm going to put streams in the wasteland. In other words, you want to see my power because when I bring you out of exile, you're going to have to go through the desert. And when you go through the desert, I'm going to, here's the third point, I'm going to, the Redeemer will provide provision. The provision of the Redeemer. He's going to provide provision. Did he not provide provision for them? When they spent 40 years in the desert, the Israelites, when he allowed manna to come down from heaven, and he allowed their shoes not to wear out. Can you imagine that? Do you have the same pair of shoes for 40 years that you wore every day? Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't have to buy shoes anymore? But that wouldn't work for somebody like Rick or, or my, my son because they have to wear different sneakers all the time. They couldn't wear the same pair of sneakers. You know, just can't do that. Now I can because I only got one pair. 
But can you imagine wearing the same shoes for 40 years and they never wear out? God's provision. He's saying, listen, I want to do a new thing. See, what God wants us to know is that he is able to do a new thing. His provision is going to be there. His provision is going to be new. So what is it that you're looking for God to do in this new year? Have you sat down? Did you sit down yesterday and write some things out? Did you at least think about it? Because last year, for some people, it was pretty bad. But I want to show you something. Notice they had to go through the desert, right? God did not just take them into prosperity. Even with their ancestors, they had to go through the desert for 40 years. See, there's what we know to be, and this is how I'm going to coin it, Desert Life University. Uh, many of y'all probably been to Desert Life University, but you didn't know that's where you were. See, the reality is, is that when we look in the scripture, we see that all these great people of God have gone through Desert Life University. Let me give you some examples. Well, you know a man named Moses, right? Well, Moses, he spent 40 years in Egypt, and he was, a, he was basically second in command as, as Pharaoh. Well, he wasn't Pharaoh, but second in command. And then what we do, we see he goes down to the very bottom. He ends up being a shepherd for 40 years out in the desert behind, behind a mountain. There's nothing, absolutely nothing going on. He's in desert dryness 101. And then there's a man named Joseph. He went through a desert too for 13 years, but his desert was in prison. He was in prison for 13 years, and it seemed like God wasn't telling him nothing. God wasn't allowing him to look at dreams or, or he didn't allow nothing to happen, but yet God was elevating him into prison. But he was in Desert Life University, and his class was Quietness 101. What about the Apostle Paul? He, didn't he go through Desert Life University? He did. For three years before he became this great man of God out witnessing and, 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 and sharing his faith in, with power, he disappeared for three years being taught about Jesus because he had to make a transition from being a Pharisee killing Christians to understanding what the gospel was. And for three years, he sat under some teaching. He was in desert life. Well, what was his class? Time management 101. And we see Jesus, right? He went through, he, even Jesus went through desert life university. Before he started his ministry, what happened? The Holy Spirit in Matthew chapter 4 leads him into the desert to be what? To be tempted by the devil. And he was there for 40 days, wasn't he? Desert Life University. Well, what, what class was he in? He was in ID 101 because Satan needed to realize who Jesus was. Jesus needed to let him know, listen, I'm not Adam. I'm not the first Adam. See, he failed, but I'm not. 
Desert Life University. See, it's in the desert where God teaches us. It's in the desert where things change. Things might not be going the way that you want them to go. And I would venture to say that it's the desert. But God never stops teaching us in the desert. There's always going to be deserts in our life, and they're going to be different types of deserts. There's going to be the desert of sorrow. There's going to be the desert of hurt. There's going to be the desert of pain. There's going to be the desert of tribulation. There's going to be the desert where people in your family are causing a bunch of trouble. And you you don't know how to deal with it. There's going to be some deserts between couples. There's going to be deserts. But God is still in the midst of the desert even though we don't think so. And what he's doing, he's preparing us for a new thing because he wants us to be ready for that new thing that's going to come. And the only way we're going to be ready is to experience the desert. See, we need to understand that about God. When God does a new thing, he has to prepare us for it. And so when we begin to look at the desert, the desert prepares us for the new assignment that God wants us to have. We need to experience something fresh from God so that we know it's him. See, some of us are still riding on stale stuff. We're still riding on stale manna. We're looking back at, oh, man, God, well, God used to. And why can't we have things the way it used to be? And you see that a lot with different people in churches. Go to certain churches, especially traditional churches. They don't want to see nothing change. They want to go back to the 50s. No. God is a God of change. God is a God of newness. That's why our lives should never stay still. Our lives should constantly be changing. And if it's not, there's something wrong. Because God is always showing us something in our life that needs to be changed, especially in those areas in our sin nature. What do you want God to do new for you this year? Bev got a new kitchen and it's great. I got a new pair of jeans and it's great. Matter of fact, I got this sweater on. It's a brand new sweater I got for Christmas. It's wonderful. But I can't just stop there. God, I need you to do something new in my life. My life can't be like it was last year. Our relationship can't be the same like it, like it was last year. God, I need you to do some work in me. I need you to prepare me for that assignment that you have. But see, we got to want the assignment. God wants to do a new thing. Notice what the text says, and I'm going to finish up here. God has designed our lives to constantly experience newness. Remember what I said earlier? We got to move from memory to hope. 
Our memory can keep us locked in the past. And Isaiah is saying, listen, I know that experience that your ancestors experienced. When God took them through the highway in the sea, but that wasn't your experience. That's only a memory. That's something that was told to you. To, that you did not witness that for yourself, but I need you to witness me. In other words, have you experienced God? Maybe that's it. Maybe we need a fresh experience with God, with Jesus. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe our prayer going into the new year is, Lord, I want a fresh experience. And the Pentecostal would say, I need a fresh anointing. But they can be right because, yeah, we all need the anointing of the Holy Spirit with his power to do the work of God. Lord, maybe that's our prayer. We need a new experience. Now it's going to look different for each one of us, depending on what it is. But just like God provided something new in the desert for the people of Israel, God wants to provide something new for us as we move into the new year. Spend some time with him and ask him, Lord, what is it? I want to encourage you in something. Don't stay where you're at. Don't stay where you're at. Because he has something. We like to use the term better. I want to use a different term. He has something transformative for you. See, because transformation means that you're new. Okay, okay? transformation means you're, you're new. See, you don't see a tadpole become a frog and the frog go back to being a tadpole, do you? You don't see a caterpillar be, that becomes a butterfly go back to being a caterpillar? So what's wrong with us? We get transformed by God and we try to go back to be what we used to be. Oh, Jesus. What are we going back there for? When God has transformed us, maybe we got to look at the fact, have we really been transformed? Or do we really, do we just know about Jesus or do we really know Jesus? Because when you know Jesus, you experience Jesus. And when you experience Jesus, you're no longer the same. You can't be the same when you experience him. Lord, give us all a new experience with you. That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for me. We need a fresh experience of God through Jesus Christ. And when that happens, you're going to know it. It's more than a feeling. It's a transformation because you're going to be different. And you don't want to go back to what you were. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Lord, that when we look in the scripture, we're able to see how good you are to us. 
we're able to see the plan that you have for our lives, Lord, a plan of redemption. We're able to see, Lord, that you have a purpose in our lives. And Father, we want to know what each, what our purpose is, because some people, it's gonna be specific. Father, give us a desire to seek your heart. Give us a desire to want to know you more and more, just like Paul did. Give us a desire, Lord, to accomplish your will in our lives because it's your will, not our will, to have that same attitude as Jesus. Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. We lift up our hands in total praise. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand and worship together in song. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. We pray it was life-giving. To find out more about us, visit our website at roxboroughchurch.org and join us for worship on Sundays at 10.30 a.m.